This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. We're joined today by Dr. John Bolger. Dr. Bolger is the chief medical officer, and he holds some other titles at the Geisinger Clinic. The Geisinger Clinic, Geisinger Healthcare, it is probably the premier leader in sort of value-based care in the United States. It, it was way out in front of this area before value-based care was even talked about. It, it has this fascinating mix of urban and lots of rural areas, uh, and it's just been a leader in sort of this complete patient care and trying to figure it out, trying to manage it. Dr. Bolger is going to talk today about some of the things they're looking at, he's looking at how quality plays into value-based care uh, and, and, and how it becomes a really useful tool, better care, and also, and, and also care at great value. Dr. Bolger, can you take a moment and introduce yourself and talk to us maybe a little bit about the history of Geisinger Clinic and how it got out in front of value-based care? Sure. Thanks, Scott. And it's, uh, it's just wonderful to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, my name is John Bolger, as was said. I'm the Chief Medical Officer for Insurance Operations and Strategic Partnerships at Geisinger. And what that breaks down to is I'm the Chief Medical Officer of our health plan. And I also work very closely with Geisinger's intersection with community providers and how we're improving the quality of medical care across communities. Um, another piece of that is I work very closely um, with our accountable care organization at Geisinger. And um, as Scott said, Geisinger has been around uh, a little over 100 years. I've been at Geisinger for almost 25, so a quarter of that time makes me feel old. I was thinking about that before doing this. We have about 24,000 employees. There's 1,700 physicians, and the combined revenues within the integrated delivery system are about $8 billion. And as Scott said, it's, it's somewhat unique in that we have a clinic, we have a bunch of hospitals, we have a health plan, and we also have a medical school with a research arm to it. So we put all these things together trying to figure out how we can really improve the quality of care and, and uh, looking at total cost of care that, that in the end uh, works on both sides of the value equation. So that's been uh, really key for what I've done over the years in, in my different roles that I've had at Geisinger. Thank you. And, and take a moment. One of the things on the value-based care side, and I'm curious you're taking this. Last year, hospitals had to start disclosing prices for a certain number of procedures, you know, the top 300 or something codes at their hospital, something like that. Insurance companies are now doing something similar, although it's really their, their, their negotiated rates versus actually what a patient will pay. How much do these things have an impact on value-based care? Are they just part of the puzzle? Are they a waste of energy? Are they useful? Any sense of some of these price transparency efforts as they apply to value-based care? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think you know, anytime you're looking at value-based care, and I, I think it's it's important to, to you know work the equation through, which means you're talking about total cost of care, and total cost of care is the amount of care being done or the the utilization of any given diagnostic test or treatment and it's the price of that diagnostic test or treatment and, and I think both of those are very important I think the transparency uh, goals which I think are very laudable are really trying to get to that 
unit price piece. And, and that is important because if it, we've seen, especially in the commercial space in the United States, that the, there are wide swings and wide differences in unit price. Um, so that if you, uh, it, it, you know, if you don't do something about that, or if you, if you can use small amounts of resources and, and spend a lot in unit price, and it makes a big difference in total cost of care. Of course, the other side of that equation is utilization, and especially in the government programs, uh, utilization in government programs being Medicare and Medicaid, utilization tends to be a, a larger driver. And you know, those are the things that um, we've been focusing a lot on as we're looking at um, advancing value-based care. Um, and, but those two pieces are, I think, uh, somewhat both important, uh, and it depends on you know whether you're talking about commercial or government programs. Maybe which is more important. Uh. Thank you. And then another question: the quality side of value-based care. At the end of the day, if we can get care right in the in the best way for the patient, you're choosing does the patient need surgery early? Do they need more prevention early? You can end up both doing better for the patient and saving lots of money. But help me further on how quality, the chief medical officer, how does this really play into value-based care? I think you said that really well, Scott. And that's actually the reason I like getting up in the morning is because it really is one of those situations. If you provide the right care at the right time and the right place, that is actually the most efficient and effective way to provide the care. And with a lot of people worried about cost of care, that is actually the most cost effective. So what we do a lot of work is, is trying to improve quality. And what does that mean to improve quality? I think part of it is, is preventive care. And a lot of the measures which we look at in quality, especially the traditional HEDIS measures are looked at preventive care. And, and there's a lot of evidence out there that the the better you do in preventive care, uh, colon cancer screening is a good example. The, the, the more often you screen people for colon cancer, the less likely you are to get colon cancer. So that's better for the patient. It's better for the total cost of care as well to have that screening done. So we do a lot of work in that place. The other piece is that a lot of um, high cost care, especially hospitalizations, ED visits and, and hospitalizations, end up happening because you don't have high quality care. You have people that don't have access to care. They aren't getting the care they need for any number of reasons, whether that's a social need or they don't have access to providers in their community or uh, whatever it happens to be. And then they end up in the hospital for their care. And we all know that the, the most expensive place to get care is the hospital. And you know, if you're a patient, you don't want to be in the hospital either. So if you look at it from a, a patient person satisfier standpoint, that's the last place you want to be. And then lastly, it's expensive. So that's kind of the, the triple whammy. So a lot of the stuff we're looking at in quality is how do we get patients care closer to home? How do we get good relationships between the patients and their primary care providers so that they can get their care closer to home? That's a, a program like 65 forward that we have well, that which is uh, looking at seniors and having them um, have really tight relationships with their primary care provider because that primary care provider only has to see 450 patients and what we've seen with that is we actually decreased the inpatient admissions by 15 percent 
in emergency room visits by 40%. Well, that's a big piece of quality. Uh, and that quality is actually saving money and total cost of care for the whole system. Another good example would be what we've done with Geisinger Home, and that's taking those patients that I just mentioned that, that sometimes don't get their care because they can't get out and get their care. We take the care to them, uh, and you're enrolling this top three to 5% of the sickest of the sick. We've done that now with about 11,000 patients total and we actively manage about 7,500 patients. And again, we see that decrease in about 35% hospital admissions, 23% emergency room visits, and it saves a good bit of money, almost uh, about $450 per member per month. And, you know, that savings then, uh, you know, helps us improve quality with other people and decreases the total cost of care, which is what we're looking to do in this value-based world. Thank you. When we talk about some of this, I mean, so much of the discussion goes to keeping people out of the hospital, keeping them out of the emergency rooms, and, and, it, and a couple different questions. It, it, it strikes me as just with the shortage of primary care throughout the country, we're seeing more and more, particularly amongst our elderly family, you know, reverting back to the ER more often than we would have liked. Like 10 years ago, we were trying to get everybody out of the ER. It seems like people are moving back to the ER a lot. Is that consistent throughout the country, people using ERs again? And second, if value-based care gets this right, does that mean in the long run we'll have lower censuses of hospitals and health systems? Yeah, so those are great questions. I think the first one, we've actually, there was, and I think most people have seen this, there was a huge decrease in use of the emergency room in 2020 with COVID. Um, we've seen that come back up but but it's it's set a new baseline below where it was in 2017 2018 2019 so we're actually seeing decreased rates on the health plan side of emergency department utilization in our population now on our clinical enterprise side our ERs are still full so just as you said some of that um, is consolidation I think within the healthcare industry and, and we're seeing as many, if not more people come in the emergency room. But if you look at the rate of emergency room visits, especially for seniors and, and our Medicaid population, it, it's actually down from where it was uh, pre-pandemic. I think one of the big pieces of this, and you mentioned a shortage of primary care, it's, it's, it brings to mind a couple of things. One, it, it, we've started a program with our own medical school called the Abigail Gales Geisinger Scholar Program, which gives full tuition scholarships, if you will, to students who agree to practice in primary care and some other um, higher need specialty areas in exchange for four years of tuition. Um, and, you know, we're starting to see those students roll through and that just takes into account. We know that if you train uh, physicians with the notion that of primary care, if you potentially take the debt load off of them, and then you train them in an area, they're more likely to practice in that area. And having them be able to, to do that without having to worry about the debt load is, is very important. The other thing is we really foster team-based care within Geisinger. So, you know, the programs that I've already mentioned, um, 65 forward and uh, Geisinger home, they, they have physicians kind of at the top of the pyramid, but there's a whole group of team members that are working together and trying to use 
all those team members licensed and unlicensed to the top of their license to be able to take care of people. A good example would be using community health assistants who can go in people's homes and be connected through uh, connected telemedicine devices that also have the ability to uh, listen to hearts and lungs and, and have video and, and look in ears and, and do the other things that you might want to do when you have the visit and, and have a physician who's able to manage a lot of those. So you don't end up having windshield time with the physicians or the, the uh, nurse practitioners, uh, but you have those with community health assistants who are non-licensed people, but uh, can certainly do that. So I think looking at new ways to provide the service looking at ways to use technology to enable people to, to do uh, the things they do better and, and to, to more people, I think is going to be very important to alleviate some of those uh, issues we're seeing as far as shortages. Thank you. And then another question, and, and finally, final question, John, Dr. Bolger, what are you most excited about going into this year? When you look at the start of this year, getting going again, what are you most excited about? I think, you know, the first thing is that opportunity, really knowing that when we do the right thing, it's it's good for the patient. It's good for uh, healthcare providers because it makes them feel better. And it's good for what we want to do in decreasing the total cost of care. The other piece is that, you know, we've been excited to uh, provide our Medicaid products statewide. That actually started in September. But, you know, the new year obviously continues to bring new opportunities. And, and I think the tools we built within Geisinger uh, have been very successful in, in doing that in our part of the state. And we're just excited to be able to spread those things that, that uh, we've been able to do across the state with health choices and Pennsylvania Medicaid assistant, medi medical assistance. And that just is a, is a huge difference of being able to provide underserved communities and, and, uh, some people with that have had financial struggles or, or had a great amount of need and, and, and uh, growing the social programs we have across the state of Pennsylvania. Thank you. It, 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 Dr. Walter, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you joining us. It's been remarkable to watch what Geisinger has done over the last couple of decades and, and continues to do at even a heightened level. Thank you so much for taking great. the time with us on the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. It's, it's remarkable, truly. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. Really appreciate it.